Good morning, everybody, on this cold and windy Tuesday morning here at Eastern Connecticut University. I'm Brian Dossler, and it is time for On the Hour at the Clock Tower here on WECS Radio 90.1. Different kind of show today. Why, you may ask. My co-host, Damon Gray, is not here. So for the first time in, God, I don't know how long, I'm going to be doing a show by my entire self. Uh, I certainly uh, got a lot of work in over spring break as did three podcasts with with uh, my brother Sam for our Sports Brothers podcast. We did one on, uh, I believe it was Monday, to kind of wrap up the first first set of games over the first week in the NCAA tournament. Then we had our uh, uh, Sweet 16 Elite Eight preview on Thursday. And then also we did a uh, our MLB season preview show that I will be putting up in uh, probably Friday. Probably Friday I'll, I'll do that. Uh, speaking of MLB preview, I will give you mine all today on this show. Tons of stuff to talk about, not only that, but of course. I'm going to recap the NCAA tournament and we'll have a little fun of four preview. Why not? Uh, a lot of great games we've seen in this tournament. A lot of great shots, a lot of great memories, and uh, that will continue to circulate as we head to Houston for the last three games of the college basketball season. Also in today's show, we, like I said, we've got a lot of stuff going on today. Over the over last summer, as some of you may know or, or may not know, I did an internship with the New Britain Rockcats, who of course now are the Hartford Yardgoats. When I was with the Rockcats, I had the opportunity to interview a couple of players and the manager for the Rockcats now yard goats, Darren Everson. So it's about a four-and-a-half-minute uh, interview, and I'm going to play it for you. And and some of it has to do with the team last year, so it's it's outdated in that sense. But there's there he's he talks about how he's interested in, in the move to Hartford, and, and he talks about the 20-second the pitch clock and, and how that's – and I think it's pretty interesting. I think you will as well, especially if you enjoy baseball. Uh, we'll certainly talk Eastern sports. That'll be at the top. Uh, we're going to bring back Play of the Week today. You know, it's it hasn't been here in a while, and uh, I think people miss it. At least my roommates do because they like making fun of me for it. But that's gonna be that's gonna be back as well. Uh, feel free to call in and join the conversation at any point of today's show. Eight six zero four five six two one six four. Once again, eight six zero four five six two one six four. Let's start off with some Eastern Connecticut sports. It's, it's been a while, uh, of course, with spring break. Didn't do any games last week, but we did do a, a, a men's lacrosse game on the first Saturday of of the break. Uh, but let's start off with three players being honored by the Little East Conference as Blake Smaldone, the men's lacrosse goalie, uh, Summer Cipriani, pitcher for the softball team, and freshman left fielder Alexander White for the baseball team uh, were all honored by the Little East Conference. Um, Smaldone was the goalkeeper of the week in a 2-0 week. Um, he did well, 12 saves in, in a 8-7 victory over New England College uh, as, as the men's lacrosse team. They're now 3-4. and four. Cipriani, uh, she threw her first career shutout uh, down in, in Florida in a 5-0 victory. Uh, only it was five hits, uh, one strikeout, no walks. So certainly throwing it, throwing it um, near the plate. And how about Alexander White? Now, this is a player that I remember playing against in American Legion ball when he played for West Hartford, uh, and he killed us there too. And all he's doing is he's hit, he hit 563 last week uh, and is hitting 395 on the season. Um, he's been hitting the two spot for the most part, uh, scored nine runs with a total of 16 bases, two doubles, a triple, and a home run. As uh, the baseball team, they have the best record of the spring 
spring teams right now. They're eight and four. Uh, and let's dive into all those four teams. Well, let's keep the train rolling with the baseball team. They are they are on a two game losing streak. Uh, um, they did go five and four down in Florida, and they had a golden opportunity to beat one of the most prestigious Division three athletic programs, really of of all time and certainly of recent memory. For those of you that are not uh, that don't really know about Division three sports, uh, University of Wisconsin Whitewater last year. Just just last year, they were the first program in in any uh, division level to have a basketball champion. I, I should I sorry they, a football national champion, a basketball national champion, and a baseball national champion. And the Warriors they're up three to two in the tenth inning. They eventually lost that game four to three. Um, so they they had them right there. They're three outs away, uh, but put, couldn't pull through. Uh, we mentioned Alexander White. Alex Parkos, another freshman, already has two home runs and 12 RBIs. That leads the team, hitting 314. And Chad Adams, uh, we saw him hit a walk-off home run last season versus Suffolk. He's hitting 385, 11 RBIs, and one home run. Now, this team, they struggled last year in Florida. And uh, it's it's a, a younger team that has gained more experience this year. Uh, a, lot of this, a lot of the same faces and a lot of new faces this year, but... Um, Guys like Chad Adams, uh, Pat Soroyce, they have a year under their belt, and uh, we'll look to see if they can improve on their sixth-place finish in the regular season uh, for them. Their next game is tomorrow at Wesleyan at 4 o'clock, and their home opener, can't wait for this to call this one, will be Thursday versus Salve Regina at 4 o'clock, so you can head down to the Eastern Baseball Fields. Uh, if you haven't been down there, it's an incredibly nice field and a really nice press box as well. Um, so, again, first pitch at 4 o'clock. For the other teams, uh, we mentioned, or I should say I mentioned the men's lacrosse team with Blake Smaldone getting the Goaltender of the Week award by the Little East Conference. The team is 3-4. and four. Um, They're on a two-game winning streak. They defeated Mount Ida in their last game on, on Saturday, the 26th, 13-10. This is a team, folks. That in three of the last four games, their games have been decided by one goal or less. So that's some tight ball games. Uh, they're they're in these games. Um, they're three and four right now. Again, they're on that two game winning streak. Tim Riley uh, with twenty points, eleven goals, and and nine assists. And uh, their first their first Louis Conference game will be on Saturday uh, versus the, the Southern Maine Huskies at seven o'clock p.m. So make sure you. Uh, come down for that game. It's it's a busy Saturday here on campus, folks. A very very busy Saturday. Three out of our four spring teams are performing here at home, all down at the Mansfield Sports Complex. So if you're bored, don't have anything to do. Uh, certainly, if you pretty much at any time, if you head down to the Mansfield Sports Complex, there is some sporting event going on. Um, as I mentioned, the men's lacrosse team they have a game at seven o'clock. And the baseball team, they have a doubleheader versus UMass Boston, Little East Conference opener. Uh, those games are at 12 and approximately 3 o'clock. And the softball team, uh, they are 3-9 this season. They are also on a two-game winning streak. Milliken College was their, their latest victory, and that's when the junior Summer Cipriani threw her first career shutout. Seven innings, five hits, no walks, one strikeout. They have a doubleheader today at Trinity College at 3 o'clock and approximately 5 o'clock in their home opener. Is on Saturday versus the Beacons of UMass Boston, 12 o'clock and approximately 2 o'clock. So uh, those are the games on Saturday. So, again, men's lacrosse at 7 o'clock. 
softball at 12 o'clock and 2 o'clock, and baseball at 11 and 2 o'clock. And last but certainly not least, the women's lacrosse team, they are 3-4 and four on the season. They went down to Florida, only played one game, but they took care of business as they, as they defeated MCLA 15-4. to four. All, all 15 goals were scored in the first half. Pretty impressive. Katie Burke and Amanda Will both scored three goals. Their next game is at Fitchburg State on uh, this coming Thursday at 4.30. And then Tuesday, April 12th, is their next home game versus Framingham State at 5 o'clock p.m. Uh, so make sure you go on to that game in, in a couple weeks or so. can't believe that it's, it's already almost April. Uh, Friday's April 1st, and it's it's unbelievable that we're – Already there. One of my favorite stories of all time for me is uh, I was this. I was in first grade, so I was about I was six years old at the time, maybe maybe seven, and um, it's it's opening day for the Red Sox, and uh, it's perfect storm, right? It's April Fool's Day, and I say, hmm, how can I trick how can I trick my mom, my parents to stay home and watch Pedro pitch on opening day? Kid you not. Now, I don't know when this thought process came through. I don't know if this was the night before. I don't know if this was spur of the moment, but I told my mom I wasn't feeling well. I told her I was, I told my, my tummy wasn't feeling well. You know, give all the, the, the puppy eyes and, and all that and, 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 you know, the sad face, the, the, the cute little kid face. And uh, she believes me. And uh, I went and spent my, my day at my grandparents' house, and I played hooky as a, six, as a six-year-old to watch the Red Sox on opening day. And I always remember uh, my dad, he, he, he calls me, I don't know why I remember the time, at 8.56 p.m. AM, and he goes, hear the Red Sox-Orioles game got rained out? And I go, what? What are you talking about? Because he, he asked me, uh, and, and he was, he was uh, he's like, are you really sick? I was like, no, Dad, but Paige was pitching today. I can't miss it. That's when he knew that I had, was really obsessed with sports. I mean, six years old. And I guess because uh, I told this story on on the on the latest podcast with the Sports Brothers that you can see on Friday when we do our MLB season preview, uh, Sam was was telling me that when he goes when when mom hugged you and you, I guess he was he was behind her he was behind her, and and she and and Sam saw just me smiling <laughs> just knowing that I got away with murder just like yes I get to watch Pedro, uh, and the Red Sox which they lost that game I'm pretty sure. But MLB season preview, that's later for the show. Let's start with college basketball in the Final Four. Remember, folks, later on in today's show, play of the week. It's been a while, but I'm going to bring it back. But play of the week is back on the on, on the script. So it's, it will be played. And then an interview with Darren Everson that I did over last summer when I had my internship with New Britain Rockcats. Let's start off with the Final Four. The three biggest games of the year in college basketball, and they're coming up this weekend in Houston. It's the first time that the Final Four is back in Houston since 2011 when the UConn Huskies took down the Nets in Houston at Reliance Stadium. So same place, same venue, uh, but this time it's it's completely different teams. Uh, of course, can't or not, uh, uh, I look at Kansas in my thing. Um, Villanova versus Oklahoma, and the two ACC teams, Syracuse versus North Carolina. I'm going to give you all my picks for all three games, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. First, uh, let's talk about this Villanova team. You know, this 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 is a program that in recent years has really struggled to win in this NCAA tournament. You look, since their last Final Four appearance in 2009, so in the last six years, they've been a two-seed or better 
three times, so so half those times. They were a two-seed in 2010, a two-seed in 2014, and they were a one-seed last year. And in all those matchups, in all, in all those years, they failed to make it to the second weekend. As a two or a one-seed, they couldn't make it to the second weekend. So great regular season Villanova, but not so much postseason good in Villanova. Um, in 2010, they lost to St. Mary's in the second round. Uh, that was after they they almost lost to Robert Morris. They it took the, the Colonials took the Wildcats to overtime in that game. Um, in 2014, they fell to UConn, the seventh seed in the second round. And last year, as a one seed, when they went 33 and three, they fell to the eight seed NC State in the second round. But this year, they were able to to withstand any upsets as a as the two seed and not only do they avoid upsets but they make an upset of their own by defeating Kansas in the Elite 8. What a game that was. Now I thought that this was going to be a generally low scoring game or excuse me a high scoring game, high scoring game. Uh both teams can get up and down at the floor. Villanova can really shoot the three ball. Um but really at times it was just an ugly game, an ugly ugly game. Uh Villanova did have a 32-25 halftime lead and you're kind of watching that game, and you're thinking, when's Kansas going to come back? And at one point, they go up by four. It was, I believe, it was uh, 44-40 or somewhere around there. And 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 you just it was like, okay, you know, Kansas is back. Can't can't here's Kansas, and and we're ready to go. But the Wildcats always had the answer, and the senior squad of Ochefu and Ryan Archie Diakono. Boy, are people are are college basketball experts and and now and. Analyst going to be kind of happy when he leaves. Archie Diakono, that's that's a tongueful. Um, but they finally they're finally in the final four, and, and good for them. You know, I'm a Jay Wright fan. I was rooting for Kansas in this game because that's what my bracket said. But uh, certainly not the way that Perry Ellis wanted his career to end. Only one for five from the field, uh, four points, four turnovers. Uh, certainly did not play up to his his normal. He averages 17 points a game. Um, but the thing about this Villanova team, let me get back to the Wildcats, is we know this team can shoot. They 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 can hit the three ball. They can get hot, and and they went on a spurt late in the second half because of the three ball, and that's what certainly helped them propel to the victory. But really, really has stepped up in this postseason. And Jay Wright has, has, has talked about this, and after the games, is their defense. You know, if you want to win in March, you got to play defense, and. You could say these Wildcats play defenses. They're able to hold Kansas to their season low in points in, with 59 points. That's that's the least amount of points they scored all season. Um, and this is a team that scored in the 80s pretty much in every in every single game in the tournament. I mean, they were dominating teams. Um, you know, they they held Wayne Selden Jr. 0 for 6 from three. You know, Selden Jr. is a light is a lights out shooter. Um. And and they didn't even they they didn't even allow Kansas to get a, sh- a shot off at the end. Uh, three point game. Frank Mason the third. He has the ball in his hands, and Archie Diakono tips it out of his hands. Really, really a gutsy play. Uh, trying to double team him on on the wing, and uh, he's and he's able to tip it, and uh, he was fouled, and that was that was history for for the Jayhawks. Um, you know, at, at one point in the second half. Or excuse me, the first half, Kansas without scores for six fifty-five with eight turnovers, eight turnovers. You know, not what you're typically seeing of of a Bill Self team. Uh, certainly this late in March, 
Um, it ends a, a 17-game winning streak by four Kansas. And really, as I mentioned from the start, this group and, and Jay Wright, you know, starting to get some criticism. Yes, you're having great regular seasons, but you can't. They've been struggling with games in March and in this tournament, but they're able to overcome those, and they are now dancing all the way to Houston where they'll be taking on Oklahoma. And these two teams have already met this season. Go figure. Uh, I actually do not remember watching this game. I don't think I did. Um, perhaps because of the time zone. They played in in, in, in Hallelujah. They played in the Pearl Harbor Invitational. Um, they played down there. And this game was won by the Sooners. This It was really not even close, to be honest. It was 78-55 um, in Oklahoma. It was, at one point it was tied at 26-26, but Oklahoma was up was up by eight at halftime and dominated the second half. Here's what we need to know about the first game between Oklahoma and Can between Oklahoma and Villanova. Not that it really means much for for this game up next weekend, but Oklahoma hit 14 three pointers in that game. 14 three pointers. They made 28 field goals. So half of their field goals were by were by three pointers. If you're Villanova, you got to be thinking that's don't think that's going to happen. Don't think you, you can't let it happen. I should say you, you, you can't let Buddy Heel go off. I mean, as difficult that is, but you can't a guy like uh, Isaiah Cousins go off, uh, who also hit four three pointers in that game. Uh, believe it or not, this is actually a rematch of the 1939 Final Four, in which uh, Oklahoma won. Uh, yeah, 1939. Speaking of the Sooners, it's their fifth Final Four appearance. Their first since 2002. And boy, you you gotta stop, Buddy Heald. I mean, it's it's he 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 certainly has guys that can play around him. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Jordan Witter averaging 13 points per game. Isaiah Cousins averaging 12, and Ryan Spangler, the big man down low, averaging nearly double double with 10 and nine. Uh, certainly, it's it's more than Buddy Heald. And what's so tough about Buddy is you gotta stop in transition. If he he's a spot up shooter, so if if the Sooners are out on the break. You got to find Buddy because he's going to make it pay. He's going to he's going to hit the three in your face, or he's going to drive to the lane, and he's going to go and he's going to get uh, a, a basket, a layup. So that's that would be my biggest that would be my biggest advice for Villanova and Jay Wright uh, to you got to stop the Sooners in transition because with Heald in, in the open floor space, it, it's game over. It, it's game over. Um, you're pretty much at, at their mercy. How about this Oklahoma Sooner team? In the first half, this is the other thing that Villanova needs that needs to slow down. The Sooners are are outscoring their opponents in the first half by an average of 14 points. And really, minus the VCU game where they won by four points, it's been a pretty easy road for for the Sooners team. I mean, certainly this past weekend they played excellent basketball versus Texas A&M and uh, versus Oregon. I mean, Oregon, yeah, it ended up as a 12 point game, but it wasn't even that close. It was it was a blowout. Um, their closest halftime score of the tournament, go figure, was against this was against uh, CS Bakersfield, forty one thirty four. So, you know, you got to control them in the, in the first half. You, you know, you got to you got to score with them really, or you got to hold them. And, and buddy, healed. You got to stop in transition. You know, if 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 he catches in the corner and and uh, and spots up for three, you know, whatever. But you got you got to stop healed. That's certainly uh, the big thing. Moving on to the oh, so let me let me give you my prediction for uh, for this game: Oklahoma versus Villanova. 
I like Buddy Heald in this one. I like Oklahoma. Uh, certainly what, I mean, this this guy, his draft stock is going up by the day. Um, and not only is he a great player, he seems like a great kid as well. Um, you know, thing, the moment where in the Big 12 tournament where, where Holly Rowe interviewed both uh, Heald and George Niang and, and uh, the first thing that, that Heald does is, is give credit to Niang and how great of a player he is. And after Heald shot, got waved off in the Big 12 tournament, that would have, the, the same day that Jalen Adams hit the, the half court shot, they would have won him. You know, he, he said it, it happens, you know, and we're ready to play the next game. He just seems like a really, really nice kid. Um, I mean, he scored 37 points against Oregon, so he's, he's a bad man at the same time. Um, but I, I like Oklahoma this one. Um, now, these are two jump-shooting teams, and something that Sam mentioned on our latest podcast, uh, our previews, what were our previews for the Sweet 16 Late Eight, he was saying that jump-shooting teams like a like a uh, Oklahoma, like a Villanova, could be somewhat distracted by by the by the openness of, of the arena at Reliance Stadium. At most gyms that you go to, you'll have the backdrop, but at a football stadium, you got nothing. You know, it's it's very very different. We have seen games get ugly. I mean, hey, the last time there was a game in Houston, the national championship game, UConn won fifty three forty one. You know, I mean, it was it was twenty. What was it twenty twenty two nineteen at halftime? So there is an adjustment to that, and I think for for the Oklahoma game, I think it could the Oklahoma Villanova game. I think it could be a, a fairly low scoring game. I, I really do. I, I it could be even first to sixty five sixty maybe uh, because again, when you're shooting into an arena like that, it's different. You don't have that wall there. It's 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 a different v- viewing point. Um, so we'll see. Uh, moving on to the other game, North Carolina versus Syracuse, two ACC teams. It's the Tar Heels, 19th appearance, their first since 2009 when they won it. That was when Ty Lawson and Tyler Hansborough won that team. Um, how about this? Going back to the Notre Dame game for for this for this team, they out rebounded the Irish 32 to 9, 32 to 15, 32 to 15, and uh, 13 offensive rebounds. For 23 second chance points for the Tar Heels, and uh, really just that's phenomenal. Um, this is Dombe in the glass. That's I mean that's that's always been in the last couple of years. That's been the Irish's weakness is is big man down low. Zach August, yeah, he, he's good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, he's he's had some great moments for the Irish. He's a senior, so he won't be there next year. But other than August, who can you really put him up against? You know, when you're facing guys like Kennedy Meeks and Bryce Johnson that can jump to the ceiling, uh, Isaiah Hicks, some bigger bodies, uh, it's tough. It's tough. A player that I love on this North Carolina team, Marcus Page. Uh, I've I've really loved him since really a sophomore. He really started coming on to the scene. Uh, if you have not heard his senior uh, speech, every every year at, at, at senior on senior day, the seniors give a speech uh, to the fans. And uh, here is what Marcus Page said about Roy Williams. I mean, th- this is really what sports is all about, and and relationships, and it's it's very touching. Now, this obviously just shared the audio. If watch, try to watch the video. Just look at Marcus Page senior speech because when you see the emotion of both Page and Williams, it's it's pretty special. So enjoy. When I first got here, uh, I thought I was going to play behind Kendall Marshall, five or six minutes a game, uh, spot minutes, and kind of develop become you know a better player over over the four years but um 
he left and uh, you kind of handed me the keys uh, to the program and to the team and you know you probably had more confidence in me than I did at that time and um, a lot of people were down on me as a freshman but <laughs> the one thing you did is you always believed in me you know you always told me I believe in you son you're gonna make shots you're gonna do fine you're gonna be a great player and that you just believed in me and <laughs> I can't thank you enough for that because that allowed me to be a confident person myself and helped me grow as a person. And I know the most important thing, um, I know my mom's going to appreciate this, is uh, I've started taking note of the thought of the day every day in practice um, because, you know, it's a lot of words of wisdom. And I know one day I'm not going to be able to walk through this tunnel and, and uh, meet with you at the beginning of practice every day. And I've tried to be every, every bit the player you wanted me to be, but you've made me a better man. And that's the most important thing. I'm 10 times better man than when I was I got here. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was Marcus Page on his senior day a few weeks ago, and you could just hear the emotion in his voice. Again, I would recommend watching it uh, on, on YouTube, and, and that was from the ACC Digital Network. I would recommend because you can see the emotion. You can see Roy Williams trying to fight back tears. Uh, but that's what sports, that's what life's all about. you know. And, and at the very end, uh, Marcus Page was saying, you know, you haven't only made me a better basketball player, but even, an even better person off the floor. Um, I mean, Roy Williams has had great, many great players back as days of Kansas. Um, so he's really coached a lot of special players. And he said, this is probably arguably the most, his, one of his favorite teams. I mean, I've, it's, you know, you hear that a lot with, with coaches and, and it's so easy to say that when they make it to the final four, I think Jay Wright said that, that as well. But you know, when, when you have players like Bryce Johnson and Marcus page that have stuck with the program for so long, you know, you, it's 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 a different relationship than than uh, than than Mastrzewski had with Joel Okafor. I'm not saying that that relationship wasn't bad because I'm sure it wasn't. But he Okafor was only there for one year. When you got when you got a couple guys there for four years and players that are, that are really your stars, it's it, it is different and and relationships grow and bonds get even tighter. Uh, so just wanted to share that with you because it really is. Uh, very, very special. Uh, back to Roy Williams. It's his eighth Final Four appearance uh, for him, and that also includes his days with with Kansas. And as I mentioned, with so much has gone gone through the the, the heads and mind of of uh, Roy Williams this year, uh, knowing that this is the last year he's going to be coaching guys like Bryce Johnson and Marcus Page. But you know, back in back in the off season, uh, the academic scandal put against the program. He's had health issues with his back and his knees. Uh, the media questioned his, his, his credibility because of the academic issues, and uh, it's, it's taken a toll on him. But uh, if he's able to hold up that trophy on Monday night, I think that will help solve a, a lot of wounds and, and a lot of sorrows and, and really answer a lot of questions in the media. Uh, Syracuse, moving on to them real quick, then we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be Play of the Week and then the interview with Darren Everson. Uh, it's a six final four appearance for the Orangemen, their first since 2013. Uh, Syracuse, by the way, they're the 12th program in NCAA history to have both the men's and women's basketball programs in the final four at the same time. The last to do it 
team right down the road. The UConn Huskies back in 2014 and the 2013 Louisville Cardinals were the most recent do it. So really the last couple of years we've, we've had it. We've had a, uh, quite a bit um you know through the last four years uh speaking of the UConn Huskies all they did yesterday was make it to their ninth straight final four and uh, they're going for their 11th national title beating Texas yesterday by 20 points um but how about the Dan Shaughnessy tweet right let's dive into that real quick I don't want to spend too much time on it if you have a quick thought feel free to call in 860-456-2164 once again 860-456-2164 but I think this is just a case of Shaughnessy really just trying to create controversy on his own. Like he, he just wants he just like like if you haven't seen the tweet that I'm referring to, he he basically said uh UConn women's basketball is bad for the sport. You know, why watch her? I won't watch it. And Gino had the perfect response. Gino Riamba had the most beautiful and perfect response, and he is so good at responding to critics. I mean he just he just tells how it is. He just says what's on his mind and it's great. It was very straightforward. He, he just responded to and just said, don't watch it. You know, no one's, no one's putting a gun to your head, so don't watch it. And his analogy, his comparison was completely, uh, was completely true. Uh, he, he goes, you know, when Tiger was dominating, winning all the tournaments, all the major tournaments, no one, no one was complaining. No one was saying it was bad for golf. It was, it was good for golf. At one point or another, now, at some point, I don't know if it's going to be next year, Three years, ten years. At some point, UConn women's basketball will not be as dominant as it is today. That's just how sports go. Now, is this cycle going a lot longer than other dynasties? Absolutely. But at some point, this women's basketball team will not be reeling off a seventy-two game winning streak like, or now seventy-three game winning streak like, like they have. Now, they still may be a dominant program. You know, they'll they'll be in the final fours, but they but they won't be as as good as they are now, or they have been the last decade, really. You know, maybe when Gino leaves, I mean, he's getting up there in age. So eventually, when when he leaves, maybe we'll there'll be a, a drop down. Gino right now is sixty two years old. So again, it could be ten years now, it could be twenty years now, but eventually, the dynasty of UConn women's basketball will eventually fall. So enjoy it while it lasts. And it makes it does make other teams better. Carol uh, Austin was mentioning in 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 studio, uh, in studio thing when she was talking about. She was saying last year in the Sweet Sixteen, UConn defeated Texas by fifty one points, and I all all off season the Longhorns. Their their number that they kept motivating themselves was fifty one, fifty one, fifty one. Of course, mean the, the the amount of points they lost by. They had a great season this year. They were able to get the Elite Eight. They were the two seed in their in the in the Bridgeport region. Obviously they fell up short again falling to UConn, but it really energized them and it pushed them to become even better players because when you have to beat excellence, you have to be even better than excellence. And that's what UConn is doing. And you can't what are you gonna what are you gonna what are you gonna do? Tell them to lose? Tell them to turn the ball over on purpose? No. Just because Gino has something that other teams don't, other coaches don't have, doesn't mean he can't use it. So, I don't know. It's it's. Uh, I think it was just Shaughnessy just wanting to make, just wanting to make headlines. To be honest, uh, back to the Syracuse versus North Carolina game. It's a rematch. Uh, North Carolina won both of the games, and of course, the big talk with Syracuse is how the heck are they here? 
you know, they're the 10th seed. You know, they they were 19 and 13 coming into this tournament, and people were were upset that they were in. They were in. Um, you know, they they lost four out of six coming into the tournament. They lost in their ACC quarterfinal game, which was their first uh, game of the of the conference tournament. They really kind of did everything they needed to do to not play themselves into the tournament. Um, but maybe perhaps some of it had to do with Jim Beheim not playing or not not coaching for nine games. Maybe that had something to do with it. Uh, in terms of the eyes of the committee, I think a lot of it had to do was that they won uh, the tournament down in uh, the Bahamas. When UConn was in there, Gonzaga, Texas A&M, a very good field. They won that. They, they, they defeated UConn. They defeated Texas A&M. I mean, both of those teams are tournament teams. Um, I think that certainly helped. But you can't say that they don't belong in the tournament now. When you reel off four wins... You beat Dayton, Middle Tennessee State. Granted, it's not Michigan State. They they got lucky there. Um, but coming back against Virginia in the Elite Eight on Sunday was 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 unbelievable. An Eastern miracle, you could say. Down 15 points with nine minutes to go to a team that they've already lost to twice. You know, and a team that really had no business being the Elite Eight in general. Uh, you know, Mikhail Richardson just goes off for 21 of his 23 points in that second half, and now they're dancing all the way to Houston. My prediction in that one. Uh, I'll go North Carolina. Uh, it's North Carolina is simply not missing in this tournament. Um, they scored 80 points in all four NCAA tournament games this year, 101 points versus Indiana, uh, and they shot 61.5% versus Notre Dame. So they're, they're shooting the ball pretty good. And uh, when you've got a guy like Bryce Johnson that can score uh, in so many different ways around the basket, whether it's from the foul line, whether it's from – uh, inside offensive rebounds, as I mentioned, they had 32 rebounds, 13 offensive rebounds against Notre Dame. Um, now Syracuse is a little bit bigger. Coleman is is big down low, um, but I still I still believe that it's, it's the Tar Heels will come out with the victory. So that leaves a North Carolina versus Oklahoma uh, national championship game, and I think it's the one that everyone's expecting it to be, uh, and I think it'll be the most fun. Uh, certainly, I think North Carolina. Everyone believes that North Carolina again. I could. I wouldn't be surprised if Villanova wins. Now that they beat in Kansas, but I think everyone wants to see Marcus Page versus Buddy Heald matchup. Whew. Man, Kadeem Latin, Ryan Spangler versus Bryce Johnson. You know, James Woodard versus Theo Pinson. I mean, it, the matchups just go just are all over the place. The, the, the marquee matchups. Um, so we'll see what's going to happen. This game is a toss-up to me. If these two teams were to play, and assuming they're all healthy, it would not surprise me either team wins. It really could come down to who has the ball last because we've seen Buddy Heal can hit the big-time shot. We have seen time and time again that Marcus Page can hit the big-time shot. I'm going to go North Carolina this one, and I think it would be a real fun one. Uh, certainly a, a lot of anticipation for this potential game, but I, I like the Tar Heels in this one and for Roy Williams to – Get another ring and another uh, another opportunity to cut down the nets. You know, I'm done talking. Let's take a break. Let's let's step aside. When we come back, it's going to be play of the week. And then I sat down, or actually I was standing up, but I talked with Darren Neverson last summer, the New Britain Rockcast manager, now the Hartford Yard Goats. Uh, we talked baseball, and I think you'll enjoy that. So when we come back, that'll be that and more along with the MLB season preview. Welcome back to WECS Radio 90.1 with Brian Dostler and on the hour at the Clock Tower here on the wonderful network of WECS Radio 90.1. Uh, this podcast is on the Nico Empire and the Nico website, so feel free to comment. 
or anyone, if, if uh, tell me how I'm doing, tell me what you like, tell me what you don't like. If you're listening live right now, you still have 23 minutes to call in, 860-456-2164. Once again, 860-456-2164. So let's head to play of the week. Again, this is a segment that was going on strong earlier in the year, uh, kind of just didn't just stop doing it, and now here it is, the play of the week for this March 29th edition of On the Hour at the Clock Tower. Enjoy it. We do it once a week. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Auburn's going to win the football game. It's time to hear the play of the week. Here's a pitch on the way, a swing and a belt, left field, way back, Blue Jays win it! The Blue Jays are World Series champions! Touch them all, Joe, you'll never hit a bigger home run in your life! Let's hear the call. James catches, puts up the three, will go, rebound box, back out to Allen, history portal, back! Bridges is on him. Now with six seconds. Ball comes out. Bridges is on the floor. They'll get the last time out. They say they're called by Villanova. And Villanova was afraid to foul because the, you know, he goes up for that jumper. And we've seen it. But how about the heart and soul? The man who's lived Villanova basketball. Archie Diacono getting in there, getting a deflection, and then Bridges getting on the floor and calling a timeout. Yeah, it's uh, Mikal Bridges and Ryan Archie Diacono making the game-winning play that saved the season for the Villanova Wildcats as they went on to move to move on to their uh, to another Final Four appearance. Uh, not, I mean, not not the. I was trying to think. I was like, what? What's you know? But really, all the. I mean, I guess I could have gone with a, a big time Richardson three, but. Uh, I think the, certainly the Archie Diacono strip was was the biggest play of the week, and it had to come from from college basketball. Uh, so that was from CBS and Jim Nance and Bill Raftery and Grant Hill. Bill Raftery doing his second consecutive uh, Final Four uh, with with that crew. So uh, now let's head to the MLB season preview. Uh, but first, well, first of all, opening day five days away. Uh, six for the Red Sox. Five for Mets fans, uh, six for Yankees, I believe. Uh, Mets versus Royals and on opening day, on opening night. Um, kind of interesting. <laughs> World Series rematch on opening night. Uh, there was some rumors yesterday that Matt Harvey was not going to be the opening day starter because of an undisclosed reason. Apparently, it's fine now. Uh, there was reports right before I came on on air that it, everything's okay. It was, he just needed some blood clots, blood clots removed, and he will be good to go uh, come opening day on, on April 3rd on Sunday. So that's good for Mets fans. Just take a relax, Mets Nation. You have your ace. You have your starter. Um, or your, what what is it, one ace, one A, ace, one B. Uh, you, you got one of your guys. So. Uh, Matt Harvey will be starting game one. And let's be honest, I mean, even if he was pushed back to the third game of the season, he still lets a face to Grom, Syndergaard, and, and Harvey. So, yeah, whatever. But, um, you know, let's let's go to the interview with Darren Everson. Now, I did this again last summer. So, the first couple questions, they're, they're about the team last year. Um, but in the end, it starts really getting good. Uh, it's it's a four-and-a-half-minute interview. And uh, thank Darren Everson for last summer for taking the time. 
And uh, here's what he had to say on the Rockcats last year. And uh, on, just, on just baseball in general, it's, it's, it's a good interview. Enjoy it. Ryan Dawson with Rockcats manager Darren Everson. Darren, how has your first season gone as manager of the New Britain Rockcats? Uh, you know, it's it's been good. We've uh, we kind of went through a lull in the middle of the season. Did great early on with a lot of good players that we moved on to uh, AAA into the big leagues. And uh, it's been um, July was rough, but we had some younger kids trying to learn what AA baseball is about. And now we think we've really started playing well. Wish we had another month to keep going because we're playing well right now and trying to. Uh, you know, keep winning every series, and if we can do that, we'll be okay at the end. Are you noticing any differences being in the Texas State League last year? Now you're in the Eastern League with the Colorado Rockies and the Britain Rockets. Are there any uh, big differences between the two leagues? You just see more teams. Um, you know, the other other league, you have basically three teams in your league that you play 30 times. The scheduling is way uh, more efficient there for a uh, for a divisional championship. Where here, you like we have not gone to Trenton yet, and <laughs> they're yeah, in our division. Yeah. So we go to Trenton in a couple days here for the first time ever, and uh, that that's kind of interesting that that happens when you're uh, in the same division and going against the same people to try to win a, a, win a, a playoff spot. So it's different, but it's uh, it's good. Have you now that you've been in the Eastern League for pretty much a whole season now? Is there any differences between the Eastern League now than when you played in the in the 1990s? Um, basically, the differences is that. Uh, there's some nicer fields. <laughs> a lot of the fields, like I played in the old park over there in New Britain, uh, just next door. And uh, at that time, it, that park was just okay. And some other new parks had just come up. Akron was just up. And and uh, so there's some unique parks that built in. But now there's what there's, they've either had done new stadiums or they've revamped the old stadium to really look uh, great and to be uh, good. Underneath still isn't the best for the players. But for the most part, the, the stadiums are a lot better. And... Uh, you know, you just get a bunch of different teams to play, so it's, it's been good. Are you excited about the move to Hartford next season? Absolutely. Uh, looking forward to uh, getting back to a field that's similar to Tulsa. You know, when we were in Tulsa, we, it was a great place to play, um, great place to come to work every day, beautiful ballpark, great underneath for the players and the staff, and I think we're going to have that again in Hartford. So we're looking forward to that end of it and uh, looking forward to uh, getting there next year. You like the new, the new logo, the Hartford Yargos logo? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it looks like it's a good one. It looks like it's uh, caught fire with, with the fans, and that's the important thing on logos. That, you know, the logos in the name, if it catches fire, then, then you get a, a fan base and you go from there. So looking forward to get my first uh, my hat and my T-shirt, all that stuff, so we can uh, show it off in the offseason. Major League Baseball just put in, starting this season, a 20-second pitch clock. Do you believe that that pitch clock has helped your pitchers this season? No. No, the 20-second clock is basically irrelevant to me. Um, I think the clock that, that's in place for in between innings, I think it's a good clock. I think the, the 225 is good, a good time and all that stuff. Keeps the game jumping in between. I think the 20-second clock in between in between pitches has is, is maybe created more issues and actually more called timeouts than regular because now they get down to 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and they're not set on. They're going through the third pitch that the catcher and pitcher are trying to get on, on the same page with. And, uh you know, you, you get some more called timeouts by, by that process. I think the foot-in-the-box rule, which was really impl- implemented a lot last year, and especially in the fall league. And then we, that's, I was in the fall league last year where they actually had the clock for the first time. And that's what we, from that day on, I've, I've been, been, that, been that guy. With the rule of the foot-in-the-box, it has to stay in the box unless you take a swing. I think that's made a bigger difference than a 20-second clock. What player did you idolize growing up as a kid? You know, I was... Uh, I wasn't really a team uh, like like this team or like that team. I liked the individual players, so it was, it was fun to watch people like Mark McGuire, 
Um, I was a Roger Clemens guy. Um, uh, when I was young, young, I was a big Tom Seaver fan, um, card collector, that type of stuff. So I got to, you know, be that that kind of uh, that kind of guy that uh, the history of the game, all that stuff, and, and uh, it's been. It's been uh, fun to meet some guys, and uh, down the road, it's uh, it's just uh, it's a cool thing to uh, to uh, n- learn more about these guys as as I get older, and then uh, meet new guys that I also ended up watching a lot of. Any off-season vacation plans? No, just spending a lot of time with the family, and uh, um, we may do some small vacation, but for the most part, we're going to be spending a lot of time with the family and look forward to uh, a great couple months off before we get cranked up again down in Arizona. Thank you, Darren Everson, for doing that interview last summer. And you heard a couple interesting things. Uh, the thing that, that my biggest takeaway was uh, he coming over from the Texas League and now into the Eastern League last year, and uh, they they didn't play a divisional uh, this, this team in, the, in their league until August, Trent Thunder. I mean, they play him seven times in ten days, I think it was. It was kind of ridiculous. Um, so that's different. Also, I, I asked him about the 20-second pitch clock, and – it was, and he said it doesn't make a difference. He, he doesn't think it does. Um, and it's interesting to see how Major League Baseball will incorporate that into in, into into baseball. Um, it was in Double A and Triple A last year. Uh, Major League Baseball they 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 took away uh, what's the the official name for when you can't slide into second base um, like hard, you know, into into a fielder. So they are making changes. We've seen this in a replay being changed. And God, the the other day, uh, Rob Manifer, the 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 MLB commissioner, was on the Dan Patrick show, and he said he wasn't uh, completely against a pretty pretty uh, an an automatic system of calling balls and strikes. So you would have no umpire, you would just have basically technology and essentially a robot calling balls and strikes for a major league baseball game. And boy, I hope it doesn't come to that. I really do. I mean, I mean, there, there's bad calls. I mean, yeah, there's, but that'd be strange. And I think you would lose a lot of interest, to be honest. Um, a, a robot, essentially, a robot calling the game. Um, I think that's that's unheard of. And it's, I mean, because because they're they're uh, Dan Patrick saying, well, what about about the, the pitch tracks? I mean, you know, you watch a game and a lot of broadcasts, including Nesson. And the ESPN, they'll have a, a a pitch track of where the ball is uh, in the strike zone, but the reason why that's not doesn't really work is one, it's not one hundred percent accurate. And if you're gonna if you're if it ever gets to a point where you're gonna have a uh, if you're if you're ever gonna use pretty much a robot or automatic system to call the ball strikes, it has to be one hundred percent right. But also, the strike zone doesn't get bigger or smaller, so your your strike zone for a five foot two Jose Altuve is the same. As a uh, as a six foot seven John Carlos Stanton, like it doesn't make sense. So that's that's something he said, that he was said would have to be updated and and changed. But God, I, I really I really really hope that it doesn't come to that. Um, sure, there's blown calls, but you know what? <laughs> Deal with it. I don't I don't want to robot it as as a as an umpire. Um, as I mentioned, five days away from opening day, six for the Red Sox. They'll be opening up in Cleveland versus. The uh, versus Terry Francona and the Indians. Um, overall thoughts on the off season. We got a lot of familiar faces in different places. Todd Frazier with the White Sox, um, David Price with the Red Sox, Craig Kimball with the Red Sox, Darling Castro with the Yankees, um, Jeff Samarja and Johnny Cueto with the San Francisco Giants. Uh, who else? Uh, the Cubs. They got John Lackey and Jason Hayward. So a lot of big time players 
or on the move in the offseason. And uh, something that Sam and I really we kind of came to realize, um, you look at the pitching in the AL versus the NL, and the NL is stacked. Unbelievably stacked. I mean, that NL Cy Young Award is going to be tough, tough to, to figure out. I mean, you got Garrett Cole with the Pirates. You got Jake Arrieta with the Cubs. Adam Wainwright, uh, Michael Walker, Carlos Martinez being three three formal pitchers. The Mets don't have to go into them. Um, uh, Jordan Zimmerman now, or you know, he excuse me, Max Scherzer or Jordan Zimmerman with the Tigers. Um, but Samarja Cueto, Granky, um, all all National League guys, and you look at the American League. And here, here are the, the the main guys in the American League. Uh, David Price with the Red Sox. I think you can you can you can say that as, as a as a bona fide ace. Uh, Felix Hernandez, um, Jordan Zimmerman, maybe. I don't I don't think he's a bona fide ace though. Um, Corey Kluber, he was a Cy Young a couple of years ago, but last year, eh. um, Dallas Keuchel, he won the Cy Young last year, certainly in in that conversation, but really. It's top-heavy pitching in the National League this year. So just something for you to think about. Um, American League playoff teams. I mean, every year it's it's so easy to, to select the teams that made the postseason last year and put them in this year because that's the latest thing you saw. I mean, that's with any sports. Um, but some things that you I – mean, the Minnesota Twins. This was a team last year that was – was right there uh, till the end. They have a, a lot of young talent in Miguel Sano and Byron Buxton, uh, and, and they have some some promise there. Interested to see if if they will take a leap this year and make the postseason. Uh, the Houston Astros, you know, are they a one year fluke? Kind of, you know, kind of like how let, let's see what the Mets what they can do. I, I think we we need to, to to see where the Mets are now. We know they're going to be able to pitch. That's that's for sure. And they and they are able to get Cespedes back, which I think of all the moves. With with uh, Granky going to Arizona, with uh, Shelby Miller going to Arizona, with 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 all the all the different moves, Todd Frazier going to the White Sox. I think Cespedes might be the biggest surprise in the off season because he actually stayed in New York. And for the Mets standpoint, each day that Cespedes was on the market, the better chance the Mets had because the Mets they they couldn't afford a two hundred million dollar you know, Cespedes. There's there's no way they could do it. I mean, and that's. And he turned down offer, some offers from there. You know, Baltimore was in on him. The White Sox were in on him. The A's wanted him back for a, a hometown reunion, um, so to speak. Not exactly hometown, but his first team in, in, in America. But, uh, you know, he had those offers. Um, but, of course, the Orioles, they eventually went the Chris Davis way, the, the very expensive seven-year, $160 million way for a guy, yes, that can hit 40-plus home runs, but he can also strike out 200 times, and he's only going to get older. Um but I think the the biggest the, the biggest surprise was was Cespedes staying in New York, and certainly it's going to help that offense. Uh, but back to the Houston Astros, you know they got Keuchel, they they got Keuchel as as a starter. They do have Doug Fister, but uh, Colin McHugh, Lance McCullers, those are a couple other pitchers. You know Tuve, you know he's going to hit. Um, Carlos Carrera, you know some people believe he's going to be the MVP this year. You know, but can he? Uh, sustain the success he had last year. I think he can, but certainly as a as a young kid, you know, there, I think there's still those question marks that you, that you still have to uh, have there. Uh, a player, a lot of a lot of people think that George Springer, the New Britain native and the the kid that went to UConn, will have a breakout year if he stays healthy. You know, he could be a guy that's 
hitting top of your lineup and hitting over 300, stealing 25, 30 bases, and driving in, you know, 80, 90 runs. So we'll see. Um, the Texas Rangers really snuck up on the Astros in, in Major League Baseball by, oh, hey, you know, it was it was very strange when at the trade deadline they acquire Cole Hamels. For, and, and finally the Phillies dump off Cole Hamels. It was it was only a matter of time. But they finally get rid of him, and it was like, okay, the Rangers got Cole Hamels, but they're not really in contention for the postseason. Kind of weird, but like, oh, okay. You, you find out that he's under contract for a couple of years. Like, oh, okay. You know, they're building for twenty for 2016 and beyond. For, for the 2017 season, they're going to get you Darvish back. You know, Derek Holland will be back. You know, it, it's it'll work out. But then they kept winning some games, and then Derek Holland comes back, and and Prince Fielder keeps hitting well, and it's like, oh, you know, hey, we're we're in the we're in we're in the race here, and they and they have winning the the National League or excuse me, the American League West. Um, it's tough. To, I th- I think it's still tough to put them in in that conversation. Or I I think it's the Astros to lose uh, the the American League West. Um, the A's, I don't think they're going to be that good. Uh, the only all they got is Sonny Gray. The Mariners. One of the reasons why that they struggled last year, and, and, and last year in the MLB season preview, I said that the Mariners were going to make the postseason. I actually said that in December during the offseason when they signed Nelson Cruz, when they got Robinson Cano, and and I said uh, they'll make the postseason. big reason why they struggled last year was because Robinson Cano was not hitting the ball very well. He had a pretty good second half of the year, but you know before the All-Star break, he was, he was not uh, playing all that well. I'll bring up his numbers in a second. But in, in the... Spring, in the spring training here in 2016, he's got seven home runs. And if you haven't seen yesterday's home run, oh, God, it was a shot to dead center field over about a, I don't know, a 50-foot wall. I mean, it was it was, it was long, long, long gone. Um, you look at the numbers, pre-All-Star, yeah, pre-All-Star for Robinson Cano, he had 251. Um, let's see how many home runs. Six home runs and 30 RBIs. And struck out 64 times. After the All-Star break, he hit 331 with 15 home runs and 49 RBIs. That's more like the Robinson Cano that that people know and people expect. Uh, he, he ended up hitting 287, 21 home runs, and 79 RBIs. Um, but certainly that second half of uh, the season really, really was, was good for him. Um, surprise teams or teams to make a leap in the National League. Um, Arizona Diamondbacks. They got Zach Greinke. They got Shelby Miller, and this team could always hit. Last year, uh, they were they were ups in in, in total runs for teams. Uh, they have a, an MVP caliber player in Paul Goldschmidt, and they have a Gold Glove center fielder and really heck of a hitter as well in AJ Pollock. Another Connecticut connection. Played at Ram High School just down the street. Um, you know, Yasmani Tomas, uh, a, a player from the Dominican Republic, that's come over. Didn't play all that well. Didn't didn't hit as well as as uh, maybe people wanted to in his first year with Arizona. But uh, certainly, if he can with a year under his belt, I mean, not everyone is is you know is a rookie sensation. Um, maybe he can hit hit for some power, some home runs. Because again, this this team can't hit. They do have guys that can hit the ball over the field. Now they have pitching with Shelby Miller and Zach Greinke, and they got Ruby De La Rosa, my guy. Uh, watch, watch out for for the Diamondbacks. A team that's going to decline, and I, I think this is inevitable, uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers. This team, uh, you know, they struggled in the postseason with arguably the two best pitchers in baseball, Clayton Kershaw and Zach Greinke. Um, and now Greinke's gone, obviously. Uh, Kenton Medea, the, the, the 
the Japanese pitcher coming over, you know, it's it's not always a guarantee anymore that a Japanese pitcher is always, you know, you look at his record, and and just like anybody else, you know, a record of twenty five and three and a, and a two ERA, you know, that that's what he had in Japan. Um, you know, we've seen it with with with, with Dice K. You know, we've seen it with with multiple pitchers, uh, Tanaka as well. Um, I think he'll have a good year, barring he can stay healthy again. Um, but when you lose, when you do lose him, you know, you you, you replace uh, Zach Greinke with with Scott Casimir. You know, you are stepping down a little bit. Um, Andre Ethier, he fractured his shins. He's going to be out ten to twelve weeks, so they're going to be out with they're going to be out with their starting sorry outfielder for quite some time. Uh, you know, Carl Crawford's still there. He's just getting older by the day. Um, Yasiel Puig, you know, he had that great stretch where he, in his in his rookie year, you know, when he started playing games in late May, uh, made it to the All Star game. But really, since then, hasn't done much. He's been really more of a clubhouse distraction more than anything. Um, he's really a, a lightning bolt in in a in a bottle. You know, when you when you let it out, it's good. But if you forget to open the bottle, and it explodes on you, then disaster happens. Um, but we'll see if they can bounce back. They have a new manager in Dave Roberts. Um, maybe he'll be better than Don Manningly. Boy, two minutes left or a minute and a half left of the show. Um, let's get straight to my World Series prediction. In the National League, I got the Chicago Cubs. Jake Arrieta, John Lester, they add Jason Hayward, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, all those younger guys. They get a year under the belt. Jorge Soler, Addison Russell. It's a team, the Cubs, Kyle Schwaber. This is a team, folks, that's going to be at the top of the National League for years to come. They have a very solid young nucleus. Uh, they're only going to get better, I believe, so I think the Cubs will. Maybe a surprise pick to some people from my American League team. I'm going to go with the Detroit Tigers. Um, you know, starting pitching is a bit of an issue, but I think Miguel Cabrera, really, I think he had a quiet year last year, if, if you will, and by quiet mean, meaning he hit 338, 18 home runs, and only 76 RBIs, but... I think Cabrera, J.D. Martinez, Victor Martinez, Jose Iglesias, uh, they did a pretty good job with the bullpen. They they have a, One of their biggest issues, the Tigers, has been closing. They couldn't figure out a closer, whether it was Joe Nathan, whether it was Jose Valverde. Now they get Francisco Rodriguez, and if he can continue what he's been doing his whole career, which is just sh- shut down ninth inning, uh, I think that will certainly help them. Um, so I got the Tigers coming out there, and I got Cubs winning six. So that's my MLB season preview for 2016. Cubs over Tigers in six games. You heard it from me here first uh, on in March on March 29th. Of course, that question won't be answered until October. That's going to do it for today's show. Thank you for listening. All show long. Feel free to call in next week, 860-456-2164. I'll be here once again at 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. When we come back, the Pan American Express with John Murphy. You don't want to miss it. You're listening to On the Hour at the Clock Tower on WECS Radio 90.1.